Is agreeing to voter ID one of those compromises that you'd support? I don't think that we should underestimate what that could mean. Because in some people's mind, that means, well, you're going to have to um, Xerox or, or, or photocopy your ID to send it in to prove you are who you are. Well, there are a whole lot of people, especially people who live in rural communities, who don't. There's no Kinko's. There's no Office Max near them. Democrats are set to take control of the U.S. Senate, House, and the White House. This will go down as one of the most progressive administrations in American history. God willing, everything is on the table. You now can pass things without a filibuster threat. Oh, you'll regret this, and you may regret it a lot sooner than you think. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Oh, I mean, what an <laughs> idiot. It's like, <laughs> them rurals, they can't figure it out. Honestly, anyone who doesn't live near an Acela stop probably doesn't have access to a photocopier <laughs> and can't get an ID. Like, the, the, there are, like, so many preposterous things in what she said. Number one, uh, they don't have photocopiers outside of major cities. Number two, is she saying that, like, uh, some folks might think they have to take a, a photocopy of their ID and mail it in to vote? Like, I don't think anyone has ever suggested anything of the sort. But at the very least, she also closes by saying, of course, people should have to prove who they are. It's like, all right, oh. thanks. Republicans have been telling you this for a while now. What I, what I love most about this clip, and a lot of people pointed this out on Twitter, and special shout out to friend of the program, uh, Luke Thompson. Uh, she managed to put her foot in her mouth on a soft, softball interview with Soledad O'Brien. <laughs> <laughs> so that was the vice president of the United States, Kamala Harris, who... You know, we talked about fucking up two-car parades. I don't think anybody's done a better better job than she has in the last six months of doing that. If you can screw up an interview with Soledad O'Brien as a vice presidential Democrat, you you're, you can do just about anything. I, I mean, I'm serious. At this point, it really is a question. Who has a higher chance of saying something dumb if they're allowed to speak? Is it Kamala or is it Joe? Because <laughs> I, 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 honestly, like every time... She speaks. It's just like, what were you thinking? This is why her staff is like quitting, fighting, pissed <laughs> off, because that's got to be tough. This is why she didn't make it to Iowa. Like people forget her campaign dropped before they got to Iowa. Well, listen, welcome to the Ruthless Variety program. Here we are on a Tuesday. We've got a sponsored episode by Consumers Research. We're very excited. You can find them at twi on Twitter at Consumers First. Uh, and we got a lot of stuff going on. A yep. lot of stuff going on. Who, who do we have for the interview today? Jeff Bartos. So you'll recall a few weeks back, uh, we had a, a, another great Pennsylvania candidate on. But we said at the time, and we've said throughout, what we're going to do in, early in this primary season is give everybody a full showcase of the candidates that they can see in the races that are ultimately going to matter. Yeah. And everybody knows that this Pennsylvania Senate race may very well determine who has the majority in 2022. So another candidate is this Jeff Bartos guy who we got a lot of feedback on over the last few weeks and uh, suggested we had him on. We had him on. Good interview. I think people are really going to like it. Excellent. What else we got on the docket for the day? Well, I just before we move off of Kamala for a second, we kind of bantered around a little bit about the idea of playing a game with her. That's right. I think we're not going to have it this episode, but we, we're sort of in the mode for a new game. 
Mm-hmm. We are. We are. I, I think so. We're going to play Demo Journo today. Yeah, yeah. But we're thinking, you know, we're going to do a, a unique spin on that game and do a version called Veep or Veep, <laughs> where uh, we have, uh, you know, quotes from Selena Meyer from the uh, hilarious HBO series Veep up against quotes from our dear vice president, Kamala Harris. And, and you guys will have to decide which is Veep and which is Veep. It, I, and folks at home, if you haven't seen Veep, honestly, it could be the all-time greatest HBO show. It's so good. It's great. Well, there's that. Uh, you know, there was that article about how terrible it is to work for Kamala Harris and all this backbiting, anonymous sourced. You know, in in articles. Um, and then I saw some tweet about some mandatory fun in the vice president's office. <laughs> yeah, they had yeah. some staff party mandatory. and I immediately thought of Selena Meyer. Totally. And you know what I mean? Like that's exactly something that would have happened on that show. <laughs> I love it. I love it. All right. So getting into this, uh, we said, I guess two weeks ago at the beginning of every week, we're going to read some of the reviews, the five star reviews. And we encourage you if you haven't done so already to leave a review um, and and ask a question, and we'll answer them. And there's a couple of them I wanted to highlight. We had one from Zach from Texas, who said, great program, great show. Always find myself looking forward to Tuesdays and Thursdays. We do too, Zach. Will a live show in Iowa be the reveal of Smug's identity? Ooh. And, you know, here's what I think. I, I'm going to propose this to Smug live. And have him not, you know, he has no preparation for this. I think what what this is, is when we get invited to do big events, smug shows, right? You got to come to the event, though, to see it. That's the thing. You got to come to the event. So so the, the answer is yes, sort of, right? So you're going to see smug if you come to Iowa. But I don't think, I don't think we're just going to throw yeah. it out there. I mean, you got to earn this. You got to earn it. What do you think? Does that sound does that sound yeah. fair? Yeah, it makes sense to me. Okay. All right. Well, that was a good question, Zach, and one that we've been thinking about ourselves as we've tried to uh, navigate the world of of live events. Duncan, do you have any of these you want to read? Hmm. A lot of five-star reviews for the program. I really appreciate that, everyone. Yeah. Um, okay, here's here's a good one. Forever a friend of the program. Great title. <laughs> what can I say? If you were to take all of my political beliefs, inspirations, and opinions and combine them into one podcast, this would be the one. Uh, it's awesome. Smug, Holmes, and Duncan represent my view on what the Republican Party and conservatism in general need to be in 2021. A little bit of broccoli, a little bit of candy, and a whole lot of fun. I echo a fellow review that said that King of the Hill should be on prime time, guaranteed better ratings than Potato Head on <laughs> CNN. Here's my question for you guys. Who is your biggest political inspiration and why? Final thought, we need more Red Steez. God bless. That's a good final I'm thought. I'm with them on that. I'm definitely with them on that. So I haven't even really thought about this. My like from political inspiration for me comes from a whole bunch of different places. Like I, I've never been sort of sycophant worship of a single politician or a single point of view because I, I think you miss things when you have a country like the United States that has so many incredible pieces to it and people bring different aspects to it. I mean, obviously the Reagan stuff everybody says, which is totally clear, but I think that what's lost is 
with Reagan is the humor, which is what we're trying to do here, and we're trying to bring it forward. I also think some commentators are great. You know, like Dennis Miller, for what we're doing now, is somebody who in the late 90s and early 2000s kind of set the stage for funny conservative talk. Yeah, he's pretty You guys remember that show? Absolutely. Uh, He's kind of an inspiration to me that, like, you don't have to be a dork to talk about this stuff. Like, you can kind of be funny and and make it relate to people and invite guests on who you know don't meet the pc standards but are able to communicate to a broader audience and so you know i'm sure i have a more fulsome answer when it comes to like the political inspiration but when i'm thinking about what i'm doing sitting behind this microphone right now he's one that comes to mind Hmm. uh I, i think for me it would be rush limbaugh and andrew breitbart i think it's pretty good i think those two um, you know, represent, um, you know, a lot of what we're trying to do here, um, in a lot of ways. So, you know, I think that's good inspiration, but I agree with what you're saying, Holmes, like, you know, it depends specifically on, on, on what part of politics, cause there's a lot that is under the umbrella of politics, right? I mean, like there's some people who are great messengers. There's some people who are great tacticians, and great legislators, people who understand process, and everybody's got a different strength. Exactly. And I think that's what makes our movement so so diverse is different folks bring different skill sets to the table. And ultimately, you need all of them to be successful. You know, you, totally. need, you need the Andrew Breitbarts and you need the Mitch McConnells. Right. Right. Um, so. So, yeah. Yeah. You need I mean, look, you need somebody to fire up the crowd. You need people to inspire the masses. You need people to 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 grow the movement and then you need people to get stuff done. Right. And they're all kind of different qualities that that's, I guess that's why I was saying like, I never take it from one place. There's, there's inspiration in each of those little boxes. You just kind of pull it all together. For me, I, honestly, I'd say Richard Nixon. I think he is an incredibly underrated president, top 10, top, if not top five. The is this guy, because they invited you to, to the thing last week? No, no, no. I mean, for a long time, I've told people Richard Nixon is incredibly underrated. He, he, he got the economy roaring. He was extremely tough on crime. He put a man on the moon. Uh, Madman Theory was incredible for foreign policy. Like He had, he had uh, U.S. bombers take off with nukes aboard and let people know it was happening, and they backed down. He was like, because the world was like, oh, my God, this guy's a madman. He could do anything. And that's how he kept people in line, you know? Uh, it is kind strength. of it, it, it's funny that you mentioned that because I, I this goes to the larger media dynamic with Woodward and Bernstein. Almost everything that the average American knows about Richard Nixon is is viewed through the lens of Watergate. Yep. And it really shouldn't be because that guy had a really dynamic public career. It wasn't just a presidency. Yeah. And in and post presidency, almost every single president uh, until he, until Nixon passed away would would hit him up. Would look for advice when it came to foreign policy. When it came to a lot, a lot of things, the guy, I mean, he 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 was absolutely brilliant as a president. Uh, it's a shame he. Sh- I don't think he should have resigned. Um, he did a great job, and the guy's an inspiration. Who'd have guessed that Smug out of the three of us would have provided the intellectual argument? Yeah, <laughs> incredible. I like it. We're breaking the molds here, guys. I, I mean, at the end of the day, for all time, there will be a plaque on the moon signed by Richard Nixon. Who got who who got the United States there? I mean, that's incredible. <laughs> All right. All right. So, guys, I don't know if you've noticed, but uh communism isn't exactly having a banner week. Oh no. Oh no. <laughs> Turns out 
Cubans are not in love with it after all. Uh... Everybody's been following this. Obviously, it's a very important story from a global perspective and what's happening there with people, the uprising in Cuba. I thought it is unbelievable to me how this is covered, right? And what reactions people have to it. Yeah. Like, if you notice, there was a statement, and I don't even have it in front of you. There was a statement of the White House on Sunday night. Some deputy who had to man the desk, they're like, we need a statement because this is going on. So right. they put out a statement. It was like it was like a COVID protest. They said, suggested it was like a COVID protest. <laughs> That they're like, they're, it's a healthcare COVID protest, right? Yeah, it's like it's like when Benghazi. Yeah, that was just a spontaneous uprising because of a video. Yeah, it was a video. Yeah, oh, totally. It was a video that they didn't like. Well, this was a, a COVID uprising for the healthcare that they were all receiving. Which, ah. by the way, we've heard from Michael Moore and all the leftists for the last twenty years about how great Cuban healthcare is. It's so good that people flee on rafts and risk their lives to come to this country. That's how great it is. That's how great it is. Holy smokes! I can't believe they don't love it. <laughs> And and then you saw uh, I saw the New York Times was getting destroyed because they put out a tweet saying that uh, in Cuba there are protests where people are saying anti-government slogans like freedom. Oh. They said freedom is an anti-government slogan. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> how dare they? Yeah, how why they? why are they demanding freedom? Dare they anti-government? Want you know, if you you wonder why President Trump did so well. Um, you know, with the Cuban American community, um, it's because they've lived under socialism. They know where all of this leads. That's and, right. And 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 they know far better than the New York Times. You know what the the policies, uh, you know of 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 this new radical liberal agenda will lead us. Um, and and if you have any doubt about it, travel to South Florida. Yeah, that's what I love going to Miami, especially because they're they are like super hardened anti-communists. Man, like, those are our people. They hate communism in Miami. It's awesome. It feels great being there. I mean, I somebody said this hyperbolically on Twitter, but I stopped and had to think about it for a minute. They're like, at this rate, Republicans are going to straight up carry Miami, right? It, straight up carry Dade. And, and all of the counties that were sort of unreachable for Republicans for the last 30 years. But I thought about it and I'm like, I, I think that might be true. I mean, there are no, I mean, look, there are a lot of different pockets of Americans who have different experiences with totalitarianism and, and communism and, you know, terrible places where they've come from and they've, they've fleed to this country. But really the people down there still have a strong cultural connection to Cuba and they know better than anybody what it's like to live in communist Cuba. And they are not for a second going to take it for granted in the United States, which is, I just love it. Just yeah. love it. And I saw, uh, uh, you know, we can get the metrics on where our listeners are and we're, we've been, we have listeners in pretty much every country on earth except in Cuba. And I'd heard that uh, last night they cut the internet off. So, you know, people of Cuba, if you can hear us, fight for freedom. We're going to need a like like ruthless guerrilla radio. <laughs> yeah. Tower like Rise Radio Free up. Cuba. We should fly a Cessna over and leaflet. Oh, that'd be great. <laughs> Just drop thumb drives with all our apps. Yes. yes. <laughs> but in a serious note, I actually um have gotten outreach today from a lot of really prominent people in the Cuban com community who are Cuban American community, I should say who want to come on and talk about this. So we're going to have an open line. Hopefully what we see is is the beginning of a major change in Cuba 
And I would love to get some perspective on the program for that. Awesome. Um, all right. So, dude, I don't. I guess we got to talk about. It. I really don't want to talk about. It, but like, there was a a, an, a soccer game. Soccer, which is commie kickball. You guys are trying to provoke me. Is that what this is? It's absolutely. Did you true. watch it? The Euro Championship. Did you watch it? Uh, so it was my son's birthday, so I didn't get to see any of the game. I saw the sh- the shootout at the end. It's it was- the most American thing you've you've said in a long time. You didn't watch <laughs> the game at all. Well, I, I saw the shootout. You okay. know, which but- is so telling. Like, what a clown sport that they're like. All right, for ninety minutes, it's tied, and now we're going to end this with one on one kickball. <laughs> Incredible. This is what. So for those to. of you who missed it, Italy bested England in a in a shootout. I mean, we don't need to cover. Nobody actually cares about the result. Okay, they, well, they, you're they, the one who brought it up. You know no, what I would improve soccer? Bigger nets, bigger nets. You if think they so? made that thing like twenty by twenty and no. put two goalies in there. No, because you still get the falling and the rolling around and the cut the size of the field in half, so you don't have to run back and forth. Like at that point, you could probably have goalie kick it into the other goal. Like make this exciting. Cut the field in half. Make the goal like 20 by 20, two goalies in there. Well, if the Ruthless Variety program could change the rules of soccer, <laughs> yeah, we might actually have something here. What I would like in those big tournaments, like the, what is this, the Euro? What is this thing called? Yeah. Euro? Yeah. I mean, it says it all in the name. In, in the Euro, <laughs> what I would like to see is the country that loses the championship, like an all or nothing, like really, because these people are apparently really into this. The country that loses, they have to nationwide quit soccer until the next year that would be good there should be a price to pay right because i'm convinced personally that it would then save the country the people would be uplifted from the the repression that is soccer and they would be allowed to like look follow at true sports like football exactly exactly and i think it would i think it would help them one by one we would get to the elimination of soccer that sound good I mean, I'd support that. You know what? I Alex, uh, uh, this leads us into another take that I, I I fully support, and I had when I was thinking about it. So there's a lot of talk going on about you know we got the Olympics, which are now coming up. Recently, Japan said apparently there's no spectators allowed. Yeah, I don't get it. Yeah, they're I, I guess they're having a harder time with COVID because they didn't have President Trump and Operation Warp Speed. There it is. There it is. He got, got it right. Got it. Warp speed. So they didn't have Operation Warp Speed and President Trump, so they're still dealing with COVID. Um, but, but it's really no amazing. No spectators. It's really amazing when you consider this, right? Global, like you have years to prepare for this, and you've had now, I don't know, almost two years to prepare, not quite two years, but two, almost two years to prepare for putting an event together where you can have spectators, right? I was in Vegas last weekend for some professional obligations, and at the same time, the same time, They've got the McGregor fight, mm-hmm. right? They've got a huge country music concert, a huge pop concert. Justin Bieber is there. Garth Brooks, you know, Bruno Mars. They got all this stuff happening simultaneously. There's like 2 million people in the city, shoulder to shoulder. That COVID's not in America if you're doing stuff like that, right? right? I mean, it's like we have figured out how to vaccinate our way or herd immunity our way out of a lot of this, and yet... The entire world isn't able to watch their teams. It's crazy. I mean, it's it's a huge, huge problem for their economy because they're counting on having all these tourist dollars. Is going to help a lot of you know restaurants, all these other you know uh, tourist based uh, uh, industries in Japan. And now they're going to you know they get none of that, so that's rough. But I was in, in terms of the actual games themselves, they should have a new rule 
and this would also help with the COVID situation, every country picks one Olympian, and they compete in all the sports. <laughs> Just one Olympian. Every That's sport. It. Every sport. So every single sport. Like, every country sends just one champion, right? So you're, like, looking for the, the Jim Thorpe. Yeah, like, all-round, awesome at everything. they got to run. they they, they got to do everything. And they have some ridiculous Olympic sports. Like, I think skateboarding is now an Olympic sport. No. they got to skateboard, it too. It is? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> skateboarding is an Olympic sport. they got to do all of it. It would, be, it. it would be one great. Olympian. They got to do like all the powerlifting. And see what ends up <laughs> happening is you're you're gonna have to game it out. You're like, okay, are we gonna end up with a guy who's just like awesome at powerlifting and boxing? Like they're gonna have to fight each other too. This is gonna be like a true Olympics. Any transgender rules? Honestly, there should be like zero rules. It should be like, listen, we're gonna lose out on COVID, so now we're gonna make this like. Oh, they should just pay-per-view. That would save their economy. Pay-per-view this. <laughs> I would pay good money to see just like every country sends their champion and they have to go fight. Who do you send? That's that's the question. I mean, I that had to take a serious. I just send like a beast, like, you know, find who who the closest thing to Arnold Schwarzenegger we have and just send them over. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, they're going to have to fight like the Russian and everything. It's but they got great. golf and stuff too. I mean, that's. Yeah. I mean, imagine how those dudes could drive. I guarantee they can drive. <laughs> they're going to do the floor routine. In gymnastics? All of it. All, I was like just going to say, I might send Simone Biles. Right. Right? Because I know that she's going to win like two-thirds of them. Right. <laughs> that's, I mean, that'd be awesome. That's my it. take. That's right. my take. It's a hot take. It's a really hot take. All right. So you're going to love this. It, this is falls into the uh, summer of violence category, <laughs> yeah. in my view. Absolutely. And we've had some interesting Twitter uh, back and forth on people suggesting summer of violence or roaring 20s and engaging in a lot of discussion about what constitutes that or not. I'm not going to touch all of it, but I will say that this one caught my eye. Um, there's kid fight clubs that are popping up everywhere. <laughs> How crazy is this? So so let's just, uh, without like... <laughs> saying anything about it. so tex a texas preschool allegedly ran a kitty fight club and what they claimed it was is to unteach unteach that's quote unquote fighting is fun uh one uh, parent told a tv station locally that a preschool director and a teacher paired the children to put them inside of a circle and allowed them to fight oh, hold on hold on hold on unteach fighting yeah, this is like critical fight theory. Yeah, I haven't gotten to the unteach part, but it looks like they're just fighting them. <laughs> just, uh, they just, they're just looking for an excuse. Yeah, right. <laughs> the school director said that she allowed a little bit of shoving and what she called shirt slapping because she was trying to unteach that fighting is a fun game and that hurting others is okay. Except for the fact that she, it says right in the article that they, they allowed them to like circle up and they're um, surely the kids are cheering them on. It yeah. doesn't sound like unteaching. Sounds like entertainment. And I, I found another example of this. So in Greenpoint in Brooklyn, he said some parents were concerned when they found out about there's the, there's a park called McGulrick Park, and uh, after school, some parents would take their five to seven year olds and let them at it, just like straight Fight Club. The parents. The parents would bring the kids and be like, "All right, kids, Fight Club time." And they would fight in this like public square. And it was like, uh, let's see. It said for months, it, it was totally cool. And then some parent, this is how it happens. You know, some parents always got Oh, they had it. to ruin the fight club. They were walking by the club. They saw it going down. 
And of course, like all these like overly concerned parents, they got they got on Facebook. Overly and- concerned. Wait, hold on. They they get on Facebook who and have they're kids like in this group. They're like, hey folks, so there's this kid fight club. Is this okay? Is this normal? And you know, I just kids- want to pause here for a second. <laughs> Smug is pro kitty fight club. I mean, the kids are just fighting. You know. <laughs> It's five to seven year olds. Five to seven. I mean, what are they gonna do? None of these kids is like scoring a knockout. You know, none of these kids are gonna get fu- like uh, 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 what's that thing like the football players get? You're not, you know, CTE. The concussed. Yeah, yeah, they're not gonna get concussed. And they could it's get five concussed. to seven year olds. You know. Wow, I didn't. <laughs> it's a I actually didn't passage. think we would endorse kid fighting. Well, I, mean, I brought this topic. Right, up. right. I, I saw this on the old schedule. I didn't know someone was gonna take a pro kitty <laughs> fighting take. Yeah. No, well, you can. You can I mean, as, long as, as, long, as yeah. long as they don't have knives, you know. Right. Because I don't think knife fighting is a rite of passage for kids. But hey, a little fight, it's it's good for the kids. I'm all for toughening kids up, though. Let's be honest. And it's mutual combat. It's not it's, like it's not like they're throwing a the kid in. <laughs> mutual combat. The the kids all signed waivers. Like, you know. <laughs> it's not like some parent comes in and just like throws their kid into the octagon, and now it's just like, all right, Timmy. <laughs> To if go Smug in, what comes kids, out? He's gonna be like wrapping their wrists yeah. in, in the morning. <laughs> I can't wait for Smug to have blood kids. Sport, they gotta dip their hands in glue and then broken glass. Be like, all right, Timmy, you got him. <laughs> Make Daddy proud. <laughs> Unbelievable. Incredible. Well, uh, okay, let's just move on. I don't need. It. I don't need it. Um, we all saw the news that Branson made it to space. The first billionaire, he made it to space. I watched it. Um, I think it's fake space. It didn't seem real to me either. It's fake space. You know what I learned that was really just like stunning, shocking, and disillusioning for me is so apparently he gets that like space plane, whatever you want to call the thing he took, gets like close enough that you can see like the curvature of the earth. Right. And then they're like, all right, guys, for like four minutes, you know, everyone unbuckle your seatbelts and you can float around. It's not floating around because you're in zero gravity. It's because they're falling at such a speed. That you're floating around. Wait, right. wait, wait, wait. It's like how they. It's sh- a, yeah. It, how it, they it, shot like a, right. what is it, Apollo 13, where they'd have just a, 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 a huge plane. It's like, like those dives. training flights they do to prepare astronauts. Yep. You know, where so they, they, they weren't weightless. actually. In zero t- gravity. This is new news to me. They didn't actually break the atmosphere. They, they were still. They were like right at the edge. Like I, I know uh, when when uh, Bezos goes up, his is going to go up. I think it's just like twenty thousand feet higher. So, like, his cross is some, I can't remember, it's named after some scientist, some line that's like, okay, once you pass this line, you're officially in space. So, Bezos is going to crash that. He's going to go through it. This space plane didn't get through it. If you're Bezos, aren't you dropping oppo on that uh, Branson situation? I mean, that's what I'd be doing. I'd be like, have fun, you know? How much are you paying to see fake space? I mean, that's actually (laughs) not space. It's like one step removed from Bill Gates going to Yuma, planting a flag and calling it the moon. Bingo. Bingo. Good God, that's terrible. What I did like, though, is like all these journalists are completely mad. They're like, why are billionaires spending their money going to space? Because it's their money. They can do whatever. Number one. And number two, their job isn't to be a journalist who has to like see every day of life as this like miserable thing and (laughs) wanting everyone else to live completely joyless and broke like you are. It's like, (laughs) no, actually, some people want to go to space. Good for them. Yeah, not every day is a day to provide commentary why other people should do what you want with their, you know, with their own money. Yeah. I mean, how bitter do you have to be? Like they have to just be miserable all the time because all they look to do is be like, how is this bad? Also, like, I'm sorry, but like half the stuff that we have discovered, these are people who ostensibly believe in science. 
half of the stuff that we have discovered is on accident, just through through our sheer acts of pioneering Dude, everything in from space like and the Wright brothers to right. Howard Hughes to all I right. mean, countless examples of modern capitalism being the lead driver. It's not like this stuff doesn't come from government funding. It may right. in China, it may in Russia, but like. You know, there's an awful lot of innovation that we've done in this country, the vast majority of it, that has absolutely nothing to do with a government-sanctioned event. Right. That's, like, they'd be asking the Wright brothers, wow, you guys are spending money trying to fly when you could be spending it on these socialist programs. And it's like, okay, yeah, think about how the world has changed as a result of that. Seriously, they'd still be doing, remember that Remember that plane with the clapping top? And they uh, We'd still be doing the, the clapping top thing. The, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> clapping top. Um, all right. So there's a lot of bait out there, you guys. And here's the thing. We haven't done a segment on not taking the bait in a while. And as a part of the firm belief in the Ruthless Variety program in ourselves not taking the bait, there's a reason for it, right? But I I do think we need to address a couple of things because if you are wherever you are, if you're in front of a TV, click it on. And I know this is going to be very, very difficult for you. But if you turn on CNN, I know you don't know what channel it is. You're going to have to look it up because nobody's been watching it. But if you turn it on right now, you're going to see some commentary and some segment about January 6th. It's just the only thing they do. Right. It's the entire it's the only thing that they're talking about. Now, never mind the fact that it has absolutely nothing to do with what is going on in the world. That's the only thing that they can talk about, right? But there's a ton of bait taking that I've seen lately. Well, one of the things that really bothers me about this and, and why it falls so squarely into don't take the bait is because of the absurdity of the commentary coming from CNN and from the left and from the Democrats on January 6th, where like, they're like a Lego playset was like uh, used as planning for the attack. And and here's the other thing is like, and, and it was, t- it, it turned out that that Lego uh, set was, was in a box. Was it wasn't une- even a, was unopened. Right. Right. But th- that's the thing. It's like on all this stuff that they talk about January 6th, if you give it time, you eventually realize, oh, we were being gaslit by the media and it's the dance. gaslight, but that's what it is. It's it, So it's an attempt. And the reason that I wanted to bring this up today is because all of this, you watch it and you want to explode in anger when you see like Matt Dowd and Steve Schmidt and all these idiots talking about how January 6th was worse than 9-11, and like all this stuff that's just complete, makes you want to engage in the conversation. And I get it. I understand it. You want to engage. But it's designed it's entirely. By design. It's because like, think about how how bad of a situation right now people like the Lincoln Project and CNN are. Like CNN's ratings have just like fallen off a cliff. So their only hope for attention is to try to provoke people. That's right. You know, that's but they're their only also shot. they're also water carriers for the Democratic establishment, corporate establishment. Right, right, and and they only have one way to win elections. I mean, think for a second about the fact that you've got the entire in- entertainment in- industry, the entire education industry, all of pop culture, basically every institution, whether it's corporate or or what have you, in this country that is entirely monolithic in their liberal thinking. And they still lose elections. Right. Right. But how do they do that? So how is it that they that they prosecute an election? You don't have to look very far. It is entirely engaged on trying to divide people by their race, by their gender, by their religious beliefs, by their demographics, where they live, who they go to school with, what state they're from. All of this is it's all a dividing mechanism. 
but it also applies strategically. And in here, if you're having a debate about January 6th, what you're trying to do is to get enough Republicans to engage in that discussion to divide Republicans because they know better than anybody else that if Republicans are talking about the stuff that we have been talking about here on the Ruthless Variety program, there is no chance that Democrats don't take an absolute bath in 2022. We're talking about the things that people care about, the economy, their jobs, the wages, the how much they're paying for stuff, right? The cultural, really important cultural issues about teaching your kids that you are better or worse based on the color of your skin. Stuff like that does not fly in America. They can't talk about that stuff. They've got to have a perpetual conversation about 2020 and January 6th to hide from the very real reality that they're driving this country into the fucking ditch. Right. And 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 the longer that they talk about it, they think they can bait Republicans into being participants in that conversation. It's like back to Smug's point, you know, the further we get from January 6th, the more absurd the rhetoric around it from the media and the left becomes because they feel like if they keep pushing the envelope, at some point they're going to get enough Republicans to take the bait and have this conversation so that they can then go circle back and only talk about it for another month. And and the more time passes, the more information comes out that like everything we were told about it was an absolute lie. Uh, we went from all these stories about like officers were murdered to finding out that the officers weren't murdered. Uh, you know, I'll give credit to Tucker, who's done a great job on the commentary and following up because the Lego's a perfect example of it is they keep serving up these like gotcha bits. And then with a little bit of time, like with all the damn talking points that they push, you find out it was all just complete fake news, you know? And there's fake news on every side of this thing. The point, my point is there's enough irrational conversation to keep crazy people busy, right? The rest of us should try to figure out how we can go about electing a government that's representative of our country. And, and, and on those issues, so this morning uh, a report came out from the New York Fed which said uh, inflation expectations I are over 5%, okay? And, and when the White House's talking point is there's a chance you could save 16 cents, <laughs> which their numbers were actually completely off. But they put out, and they thought they were smart being like, you could save 16 cents on your 4th of July meal. Right. When Americans are paying more for everything. I mean, the price of gas is completely ridiculous. And then you even see publications putting out that like, here's why Biden isn't to blame for the price of gas. How many pipelines has he shut down and how many pipelines has he let Russia have? This is supposed to be, you know, we're supposed to be worried about Russia. Right. Well, no one has been a better friend to Russia in their presidency so far than Joe Biden. I mean, they're losing on every issue. A hundred percent. All of that is, is entirely correct. The point is, don't take the bait. There is a huge echo chamber on the Republican side that is is full of taking the bait, right? And we all know the names. I'm not going to go into it. But don't take the bait. We have Democrats in a critical political situation. They have absolutely no ability. They have absolutely no ability to get themselves out from underneath it. They really believe this stuff. That's why they say things like, you know, half of them say critical race theory doesn't exist. And then the other half of them says the best thing in the world. Right. It's good and we should teach it. Yeah. Right. 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 They can't decide whether it's real or not. <laughs> they can't. They can't. So there's no message for them. They're wrapped that. around the axle on everything, dude, which is why they keep going back to play the hits on January 6th. Exactly. 
So don't take the bait. We got a t-shirt for that. We do. Got a t-shirt. What's the what's the link on that? <laughs> Store.ruthlesspodcast.com. It's been one of our best sellers. I've actually been pleasantly surprised. That's a good shirt. It's a good shirt, but I've actually I've been pleasantly surprised because that that is a core message of the program. Why a lot of our guests want to come on this program because they want to talk about things that matter to people. That's one of them. All right, let's get into the big the big stuff. We told you last week that because uh, we had first of all we had a couple of guests and, and we want to talk about how Texas was about to get into this reexamining of of their voting reform laws. And you recall that the first time that they did this, all the Democrats walked out and right. were celebrated as heroes for just like not doing their job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's it's great. We we have the media and the Democrats who want to abolish the filibuster in D.C., but they want to make sure we protect the the rights of of uh, the minority party and in, in states in which Democrats are in the minority. It, exactly. Yeah. And I love how uh, these these Texas uh, electeds are going to really endear themselves to the voters in Texas by instead of doing their job, jumping on planes and going to Washington, D.C. Yeah. Like, yeah. Private planes. Awesome. So, yeah, work so that's the new the new news is that they're going to try to play the same game that they did the last time, which is not doing their jobs, leaving the state of Texas. It's it's actually against the law in Texas to do what they're doing. And they're going to jump on not one, but two private planes and fly to the safety and security of the Biden administration to then complain about not doing their job. I hope they have the Texas Rangers at all of these airfields That's what I'm to saying. arrest them. Can the governor they can, ground they can, planes? You can get you can get Nobody the Texas Rangers them. out there to arrest them. Yes, he can. He that can arrest them. Rule. And, that but, would be awesome. I mean, he should. He should. But we call. So we knew last week. We said just watch Texas because this is the next Georgia, and you got to get in front of it. We're not going to allow two weeks or three weeks of defining what Texas is before we actually break the truth through, which we did last time. Right. So we started and we talked about it. We brought a guest on to talk about it. But sure enough, check out this AP headline today. The possibility of Texas Democrats staging a second walkout to top of uh, one of America's restrictive new voting measures has taken on more urgency. Hundreds of people waited hours outside of the state house in Austin to rail against the GOP's plan. I mean, <laughs> number one, Austin, if you are in any way familiar oh. with that city, it is very easy to get a crowd of left wing maniacs to show up to anything. Well, you just need to get them out of their tents because they're parked out front. It is like. Th th yeah, they all moved from San Francisco six months ago and they brought their politics with them. It's it's unbelievable when you get when you get there like th that. It's It doesn't feel like Texas, number one. Right. You get there and you're like, oh, wow, this is like maybe a suburb of san francisco right? right it's it's all left wing is as hell so they're like oh wow hundreds of activists stood outside in austin it's like yeah well of course that's their job that's what they do but here's the characterization that bothers me the most to stop one of america's most restrictive new voting measures it's absurd that's associated press they're supposed to be like just the facts that black is and white that is a <clears throat> bald-faced lie completely it's a it's a absolute untruth and so we went into it last week we talked a little bit about what they were talking about but now i mean to put a little bit more meat on the bone duncan you've looked at this stuff i mean one of the things that they're saying constitutes the most restrictive voting measure is is banning drive-through voting that was permitted during a pandemic right right unless you can you can cast a ballot like you go through the drive-through at mcdonald's 
you're 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 having your franchise taken away from you. You, know, you can't. Oh, heaven forbid you vote in person or in you know on election day or during early voting or you know during you know cast an absentee ballot in the mail or put it in one of the drop drop boxes. All of those things which are legal in Texas. If I'm trying to vote and the ice cream machine is broken, I am 100 percent disenfranchised. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm not putting up with that. But but the other thing that that. People have surfaced as one of the things that tries to justify this claim of restriction is 24-hour voting. 24-hour voting. Okay, well, look, I was always under the impression that elections and election law would give everybody equal right, equal protection under the law to vote. Right. Right? Does anybody think that there are rural counties in Texas that have the manpower to operate 24 hours a day in counties throughout the state of Texas? Of course not. Of course not. Of course not. Of course not. I mean, they have early vote windows that stretch on for weeks. They have absentees. They have right. mail, mail-in mail voting. You gotta figure it out. Listen, folks. No, no, they need the twenty-four hours in some dem stronghold in Houston, where they can just run around and try to ballot harvest as many ballots as possible. And there you put your finger. Right. I mean, we all know what this is, and and and, and each of these individual things in a vacuum. You're like, well, I guess that would be you know fine if if every voter in Texas was able to do that. Of course, that's not true. But then in the aggregate, you look at all of these there things between ballot harvesting, yep. oh, and drive-through yep. voting and 24-hour voting, and you realize what they're actually trying to do is tailor the rules to the constituency that elects Democrats. You have to sew it all together. Right. It's not enough to look at things individually like voter ID. Like, of course, that's absurd that you wouldn't want voters to have ID. But it's right. not enough. It's not enough to look at ballot harvesting and say, of course, it's absurd that Democratic operatives can go up and down an apartment complex, get people to register and vote w- right. in front of them and then take their ballots. Right. To the, like, of course, that. But if you do, do them together and then you add drive through voting in a 24 hour venue. Now you're dealing with the plan. Right. Right. Now you look at the plan because I mean, because Republican voters are live in more rural areas, are more spread out and Democratic voters are more concentrated in urban areas where they can exploit a lot of these loopholes to do things like ballot harvest. It's just as simple as that. It's not a it's not a racist thing to not want to allow these restrictions. It's simply to make the rules fair for everyone. Exactly. I mean, I think so a great microcosm for a lot of if Dems could get their wish list is you know, let me tell you from my experience, it's New York City elections. It, it, everything Duncan said, you get a little microcosm of it. You saw how much of an absolute failure this election was, where they, for, for like weeks, no one knew who Dude, won. It took two weeks to figure out who won the primary. <laughs> and you see when there's elections that happen in New York City, when there's voter registration, when you have to get, get petitions, when you have signatures to get candidates on the ballots. Yeah, well, you go into one building in Manhattan and you can get, you know, a hundred signatures from the Dems in the building. If you have to go out to Staten Island for Republicans, okay, you're dealing with houses, right? Yeah. You're, you're going to have to w- walk like what? Maybe it could be a hundred yards you got to walk before you get to another for your second signature. Meanwhile, they're just hitting the elevator, just, lighting up the whole floor. And it, this isn't about getting people to vote. This is about a understanding geographical advantages, right? And that you understand that in today's electorate. There are more Democrats in urban areas than there are in rural areas. 
And so you want to maximize your ability to collect votes, to try to figure out how to persuade people who may or may not believe in what they're trying to sell into just giving them ballots and then delivering them. Where, and they have no interest in and doing like, that in And like areas. every single Dem wish list item, they cover this in, if you don't agree, you're racist because people of color are unable to accomplish this. Like you saw how, how they like all of a sudden jumped back when they saw that uh, voter ID is incredibly popular in polling. They saw, oh, wow. Uh, I guess we can no longer say voter ID is racist. I guess we can no longer say, uh, wow, uh, uh, people of color can't get an ID. Anything Dems want, it, it, it always comes down to one thing. They're like, oh, wow, that's racist. Racist. Exactly. Nice. Thank you for the soundboard. Hit the soundboard again. Hit it again. Racist. There you go. Yes. Every single thing. They're like, oh, uh, uh, people of color, they can't get an ID. So trying to have voter ID... Racist. Boom. There, there you go. go. There you go. Guys, we're going to figure out this soundboard. Don't you worry. <laughs> but it's like to your to your point, to your point, that failed. That talking point failed, which is why, you know, the sound clip, the, the clip we played at the top, we now have Kamala being like, oh, gosh, I don't know. These rural folks, they don't have access to be able to photocopy an ID, yada, 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 yada. And it's like they're, they're basically trying to gaslight us now because the original talking point failed. Yep. And now they want to say, well, this is going to make it really hard for your voters, too. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? It's just it's absurd. It's absolute bullshit. All right, let's let's move on. We talked same topic, right? Same topic, but we talked a lot about the Major League Baseball decision to move the All Star Game to Denver out of Georgia at the behest of Stacey Abrams and Raphael Warnock, and all of the the protests over the Georgia voting law. Um, but our friends at Consumer Consumers Research did a, I think, what is a pretty effective ad on this that's going to run tonight uh, during the Major League Baseball game? Yes, this that's is so, so great. That's brilliant. So, do we have that? Commissioner Rob Manfred moved the All-Star game from Atlanta, parroting dishonest, partisan talking points. Why is he making baseball political anyway? Because of his terrible record. Viewership way down. Ticket prices way up. Sketchy deals in China. And Manfred has been so bad that Ted Cruz and Bernie Sanders agree. Maybe the league should pay taxes like everyone else. Rob Manfred, Major League Baseball. Serve your customers, not woke politicians. That's hard hitting. Yes. Okay, honestly, that's pretty hot. <laughs> pretty good, right? <laughs> so consumers Shady deals in China? That got my attention. Yeah. So Consumers Research, it's an old organization. It's been around nearly 100 years. And they, they focused on consumer product testing, eventually shifted into a larger miss, mission of like laws and regulations and how they impact consumers. And they've been really engaged, super engaged on this topic. And that's a solid ad. Well, it's, it's great because I don't know, you know, for our listeners, if you maybe missed it, you know, we were talking about this when they pulled the all-star game about how, you know, somebody on the right needs to go and fight this woke nonsense coming out of these companies if companies want to have an opinion of about about stuff fine convince the voters don't go ahead and and and, and punish the small business owners owners of, of cobb county who are now there's a hundred million dollars you know n not coming into their county uh because you want to make a statement for stacy abrams it's absurd it's totally absurd and but now we've got gr you know groups like this that have stood up 
and decided like enough's enough. Right, we're fighting back. Finally fighting back. Right. So they're they're going at it. And I don't know if you've seen all of their ads that they've done, but they've they've done a ton and they're trying to they're trying to focus their mission on these corporations that come out with just absolutely absurd woke policies that they know nothing about that to just basically try to force feed upon the American people. Right. Right? And they they've done a whole bunch of stuff to date, all of which I find really effective. And you're going to see more of this group. They launched a uh, an ad in May. I don't know if you guys saw this. It was it was attacking like Coca-Cola and Nike and all those groups that came out for Georgia. Right. And then now they're engaged with MLB. I guarantee you they do stuff on Texas. They've sent a lot of really important information our way in terms of like what's in the law and and what, you know, these companies and these CEOs are basically just entirely neglecting trying to mislead voters into supporting right i mean what i i think what our listeners have to have to recognize is that these companies like politicians respond to incentives incentives matter and what the left has done so well is work behind the scenes through all of these entities like stacey abrams and whatnot to basically back channel to these you know ceos and these companies you know to to extort them to do their bidding and now, you know, we're finally finding the tools to fight back against it publicly, shaming them. Yeah, yeah. Is, they were basically using like the Avenatti model. Except they didn't yeah, right, <laughs> right, right. It, yeah, kind of. <laughs> Under the auspices that they're actually like, you know, all authoritarian and they know what they're talking about. Right. It's incredible. All right. Anyway, so that's that's great stuff. I'm glad that they're doing what they're doing. Just remember when you're watching, if you're watching the All-Star game, I'm not going to watch it out of just pur- pure personal protest but remember a hundred million dollars came out of the georgia economy because of this and that's heartbreaking i mean i I don't know if you folks have been to atlanta it's an awesome city yeah if you ever visit atlanta if you're in atlanta get lemon pepper wet uh wings jr crickets those are (laughs) life-changing and now if you're a fan of uh, mlb and would have gone there for the all-star game you miss out on that exactly and if you're not a fan of Raphael warnock um, you know, go ahead and, you know, donate to, um, you know, somebody running against him in Georgia. Yeah. Oh gosh. You know, it, let's it, go ahead and let's win back that Senate seat. How about we're going to have, we're going to have some of those candidates on because there's, there's going to be a number of them. We're going to have, an, I think probably a pretty big primary down there, but it's essential that whoever emerges from that primary can win because it, it not only determines majority status as Pennsylvania does with our guests today in the Senate, it also sends a really powerful message to reject corporate wokeism. Yes. It really does. Should we play games? Let's play games. Let's play games. We're going to play Demergerno. Um, and we talked about it a few episodes ago. Uh, you know, some of the minions were a little disappointed in the new theme song for Demergerno. Yeah. They're like, you know, you know, the original was better. Yeah. It won. It, it won the poll on Twitter. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we had a compromise here, and that is we have a new theme song for Demergerno. It's it's short like the new version, but it, it's more upbeat like the original version. So I think let's play that now. Demergerno, 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 nobody knows. I like the new version. I'm a fan of it. Good job, folks. Good, good recording there, too. Got a lot of really uh, significant improvements on our audio. We are professional variety <laughs> program. It's like James. We are professional grade at this point. 
We got the soundboard. We got the mics. In which we, we have studio. to we have to thank the listeners for this. We started this thing on on Zoom during the pandemic. Yeah. Recording yeah. on our computers, yeah. and now look, we're all grown up. Look at us. Start at the bottom. Yeah. Who would have thought? Look at us and our sponsors who have made it possible. That's fantastic. All right, let's get to this. Okay. So, Demo Journo, I've got uh, four statements, three of which are from journalists, one from a Dem operative, all themed on the Texas uh, election bill. Oh, nice. Bill. Okay. Yeah, which is obviously something we've talked about. Um, al- also, I just wanted to flag something uh, that as we have been recording this, photos have now emerged of the Texas Democrats uh, from the legislature who are have have fled the state yep. and on on private jets yep. with Miller Lite no. coming to D.C. Yeah, no masks. Yeah, the Texas Rangers didn't get them. Apparently, <laughs> they are uh, they have no masks. They have Miller Lite and they're on their way to D.C. People are despicable. They are despicable. You know, and that says everything. You got these Texas Dems rolling out with Miller Lights instead of like a Lone Star or some Shinerbach. Right. Absolute Texas. Not even rep in Texas. And, but, but before, like, before we get into the game, in order to have a functional democracy, you have to have votes. You have to have, you win some, you lose some. Right. Right? If the people who disagree, that's like if every Republican in Washington just went home. Yeah. And then imagine, that, the, imagine the articles from that. I mean, just think about being that. like, oh, look. It's like, it, it's just, anyway, let's get to the game. All right. Uh, statement number one. With the national political spotlight on Texas's efforts to further restrict voting, the Democratic exodus offers them a platform to continue pleading with Congress. Good God. <laughs> That's, uh, yeah, I like it. Okay. Statement number two. Texas Democratic lawmakers are walking out to break quorum in defense of voting rights in Texas and block further consideration of anti-voter bills. <laughs> anti-voter? Strip anti-voter. Oof. Statement number three. This is the second time that Democratic, Democratic lawmakers have walked out in protest of the bill. The first time, it forced Texas Republicans to shelve their plan to pass new voting restrictions in the state which already has some of the most onerous voting restrictions in the country. (laughs) Statement number four. The bill in Texas is among the most expansive and sweeping efforts to restrict voting in a state that already ranks as one of the most difficult in the country to cast a ballot. Oh, the talkers are out. The talkers are out, I mean, pal. That's, that, that's the thing. I have a couple a couple of thoughts on this. Uh, number one, I'm definitely going to be using... Uh, well, let me backtrack. For, for the folks listening for the first time, essentially, each of those statements, three of them are from a dur- uh, journo. One of them is from a dem operative, you know, dem person. You've become an expert in the rules, Smug. Very proud right? of you. It's nice. Uh, and I'm, I'm going to use the Tucker Carlson approach, which he, 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 he described it when he was on uh, a couple of weeks back. As which is the one that is completely shameless, like they have no shame, and chances yeah. are that's that's a journal, and it's very clear a few of these were like <laughs> zero dignity, <laughs> which like a dem operative would have some, you know, <laughs> self respect. Journals have none, 
So that helped me really narrow this down. That's it's really ca- it's kind of counterintuitive. Yeah. But I think Tucker nailed it. He yeah. did. It, which is, of course, why he's so good at his job. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I'm also uh, heartened to hear that Smug has moved off intuition and magic into applying. Oh, the actual, yeah. <laughs> some right. kind of. A, I mean, that's still the spine some, of all Some my logic thinking. and reason. There's some strategy behind this. <laughs> that's good. Okay. And, and you were right. It, it, there, a few of them mirror each other so much. The talkers are out. The talkers right. are out. So right. let me let me let me ask for a reread of four. Okay, reread of number four. The bill in Texas is among the most expansive and sweeping efforts to restrict voting in a state that already ranks as one of the most difficult in the country to cast a ballot. Okay, via secret ballot, I'm going to show Duncan which one I believe. Hold, hold on, but, move, move away, Holmes. Okay, I've cast mine. You cast yours? Smug cast has cast his secret ballot. Okay, well, let's He go. voted in person. Let's yeah, talk. exactly. Let's <laughs> talk. Not Get the purple thumb dip. Um, all right, so we, let's talk it through. Let's talk it through. Um, so the the number one with the national spotlight, that's yeah. a classic journo. Yes, it is. Trying to raise the import of a story that is not important. Right, they want to narrow cast your focus as a consumer of news, yeah, to say you are now interested. This is the thing that's important that you need to focus on. Yep. Yeah, that's not the Biden inflation. You know, not the fact that they're trying to t- teach your your kid that that he's he or she is racist. No, this this is what's important. Yeah, yeah. And number two, anti-voter bills is a very very difficult. That that is a. That's a tough phrase. That's a tough phrase. Tough phrase. Ordinarily, I would fall in saying number two is my pick. Ordinarily. Because anti-voter, like to actually get that by an editor, anti-voter. We're not talking like what they say is voting restrictions. Right. Right? Because then that's the basically means the same thing, but that's their like smarmy way of getting around it. Right. They say voting restrictions. So anti-voter falls outside of that pocket. Yeah. But, and here's where like the, the years of, of working with the media and, and figuring out sort of how these things go, three and four are the talkers. Right. So I believe one of those two has to be the operative. Ooh. This, it, was, this was the Tucker theory of the case. Yeah. Well, I just, I think it's, it's, it's look, it's a narrative setting. Yeah. Right. And and they're talking about voter restrictions being in a state that is already difficult. Like, bullshit, first of all. Right. Not true. <laughs> not true. First not not even close to true. But you, ha- but you have to justify uh-huh. your vote, your walkout. Right. So you have to say it's already. Mm-hmm. So it's like a top line talker for Texas Democrats. You got some media that will repeat that verbatim one of these two and i'm having a tough time because like i said i think two is is the most obvious but between three and four they're kind of the same thing i'm gonna go with number four okay um i went with number two smug went with two holmes your your initial instinct intuition and magic was correct it was number two. Ah. Smug 
wins. See, he, he, my my thinking, and I think you really brought clarity to this when you said that the talkers are out, is because like three of them were just like the same idea where they where they use the phrase that journos like. Journalists, everyone, you know, I don't need to explain to this, explain this to you. They're among the laziest people in society we have today, right? <laughs> they, they're in their. There are Brooklyn some good journalists. They just want to go back. I'd to say they're all lazy, cat, you know. <laughs> so they, they they will just copy and paste the same key buzzword of like most, you know, most onerous. Well, that's why they're still saying <laughs> voter restriction. <clears throat> that's it. They're right, saying, right, right. Voting right. restriction. That phrase. It's a journal phrase. It's a total journal phrase, and they know they don't have to think independently or actually from a primary source, look through what regulations have been proposed and come to their own conclusion because right. that's that's journalism. They don't do that. To- totally. Journals don't do journalism. But I, th- what threw me off here is that there's absolutely no evidence to suggest that Texas is the most difficult place to, to cast a ballot. And if you're a journo... You, what often happens is that they just repeat phrases right. from Democratic and, and, operatives. And, and that phrase, that dependent clause in here, which yeah. you saw twice, is a permission structure that allows them to justify that's it. what these Democratic lawmakers are doing. That, that's right. That, that, that they can flee the state. Right. Right. They can deny quorum. They can say at the same time, the filibuster needs to be reformed. These minority rights have gone too far in Washington, D.C., and say... These these lawmakers in Texas are so brave they're, they're for denying offering, offering a national spotlight, right. and it's it's it, they're allowed to do that. They're allowed to say that and 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 have that cognitive dissonance because they are also saying, "Well, it's already the most onerous." I mean, come on, oh, man! I got to hand it to the selection committee. This might have been the best one we've seen because I think you can make a very valid argument two, three, or four. And number one's outrageous in its own right. Yeah, so just real quickly, number one was the Texas Tribune. Number two, uh, the Dem, was actually a joint statement by uh, the Texas Democrats. Mm. Um, uh, Three was Vice, and four was the New York Times. Oh, the Times. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. How that gets past the editorial suite, I'll never know. It's because the editorial suite at the New York Times is their slack now. That's where... You know, that's who's calling the Dude, show. and it's like we talked about on the podcast, uh, I think, last week. It's like Dems were very successful, and I think we we, we failed in some way to, to win this fight at the front end when they were calling it Jim Crow 2.0, and they moved that Overton window. And the Democrat or the, the, the media responded to that and said, well, this is an argument over voter restrictions. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Right? And, and so they were able to cast it on, on a battlefield in which they were, they were favored. That's right. That's right. So t- take. I'm saying, if you are an operative, take lesson of that, and let's do better. I'll. I. Hundred percent. Last thing I'll say before we get out of here, you will find somewhere with some operative, probably out of Texas, the notion that it's the most difficult state to cast a ballot. That was the the birthing partner of this discussion. Yeah. yeah. All right, because there's no evidence for it. No. Done. All right, all right. Uh, Let's go to an interview. So one of the things that we've been doing on the program that we're going to start doing a lot more of, we talked about, is showcasing some of these races, obviously. We had Sean Parnell on a few weeks ago. He was a candidate in in Pennsylvania for the Senate race. And we really wanted to to open it up larger, right? And, And make sure that we had... Not not only, and we're going to do it not just with him. I mean, we're going to do it with with a whole bunch of people. But now we brought Jeff Bartos on, 
And he's another candidate who I think has got a lot to offer. I hope everybody enjoys the interview. I want to welcome to the program Jeff Bartos. He's a candidate for Senate in Pennsylvania, and we've been hearing a lot about him. He's getting around the state. Jeff, welcome to the program. Josh, thank you so much for having me. It's, uh, it's great to connect. So, I mean, we're not breaking any news to you or anybody who's listening to this that Pennsylvania, obviously, one of the must-have states for Republicans to get back the Senate. It is always a difficult sort of heavy lift for, for Republicans over the years. But uh, now with an incumbent, Pat Toomey, leaving, seats open, real opportunity, right? Huge opportunity. And as a, as a son of Berks and Lancaster County, so, you know, the real breadbasket uh, of the state in, in South Central Pennsylvania, my wife's from uh, Lehigh County. So Cheryl was born and raised in Lehigh County. And we've lived for 24 years now raising our girls, Emily and Sarah, in the southeastern part of the state. And, you know, it's interesting. People, so what, CNN calls this the top toss-up or the, the most likely to flip Democrat. Josh, these are the, the same geniuses that had Pat <laughs> losing in 2016 and uh, yeah. Ron, Ron John losing in 2016 and, and Kelly Ayotte uh, winning by eight. So we'll... we'll uh, well, yeah, I don't think we have a whole lot of time for the pundits. I, I really see it. Um, I really see this as a huge opportunity for us. First of all, it's a must win. Yeah. Uh, right. Schumer has made no bones about what he wants to do here. Right. It was uh, he said that on November 7th, I think it was with that that gleeful grin. Uh, first, we win Georgia. Then we change America. Then he, I think he said right. that. Right. So yeah, that's it. He wants that. Yeah. He wants that 51st vote to uh, to to abolish the filibuster and just bring in six generations, not six generations, six decades of, uh, of leftist dreams uh, in legislation. So Pennsylvania is a must win if we're going to take back the majority. But everything we've seen, remember in 2020, let's see, we won the state treasurer's race. We won the state auditor general's race. We won the state house. We won the state senate. Um, in 2021, Josh, just in May, uh, we won all four uh, constitutional, I'm sorry, all ballot initiatives, but two constitutional amendments that uh, curtailed the governor's power and restored a balance of power to the legislature. And that was driven by conservatives. So yeah, that's right. I think 2020. Yeah, it's huge, right? 2021 is going to show, I, I call that the first shot in restoring our liberty, not only here in Pennsylvania, but across the United States. And so we feel great about where we are in 2021 heading into 2022. Well, we've been following that actually pretty closely and, and try to follow as many off year elections as we can to see what canaries in the coal mine exist. And I agree with you. I mean, it seems to me like, there is a red wave that is at least beginning to build out there, but you've been spending an awful lot of time on the ground and you know, where you live right now in that's sort of Southeastern part of the state that is obviously turned, you know, pretty blue in the last couple of cycles, but you know, maybe there's reason to believe it's starting to come back. Absolutely. So we've, I've visited 54 counties in the last 12 weeks. Uh, this is on top of visiting all 67, you know, multiple times in my last campaign. Uh, in 2018 and 2017. So, and we're about to launch a 67 county tour over 12 days. So we're going to hit every, we're going to visit everybody again. The energy we're seeing across the entirety of the Commonwealth, all 67 counties, uh, uh, whether it's barbecues, yesterday we were at a rally up in Bradford County, six or 700 people there from all over the state. I mean, that's a lot uh, the of enthusiasm people. Enthusiasm for, for, oh, for July the of the off year, that's a lot of people. In the rain. <laughs> uh, in the rain you know it was people are really enthused and, and it, a lot of it comes down to this I, I call it this restoring of our of our rights restoring of our liberty the lockdowns which you know i'm sure we'll talk about the work i did to help small businesses 
the lockdowns just showed very clearly to the people of Pennsylvania, and I think Pennsylvania is a microcosm for the country with two huge cities and lots of rural areas as well. Pennsylvania being the microcosm, I think it showed to people, everyday citizens on Main Street, you know, the folks telling us what to do don't know what they're doing. And worse, they don't care. And so these elites who, who want to tell us how to live and who we can see and where we can go to church, and whether we can go to church or synagogue, um, how, how, what we can eat at Thanksgiving, uh, you right. know, how far away we can sit from grandma, um, I think people are just fed up. And so that energy, um, that, that standing up and reclaiming uh, our freedoms and liberties is, is absolutely at our back as we, as we go through 2021 and 2022. Well, I think as people are evaluating candidates, they not only listen to the message that they've got and, and you know, what kind of candidate they are on the surface, but they also look into what they've done. And an interesting part of your, your story, uh, a lot of ruthless listeners will remember we had Pete Snyder on uh, when he was running for governor of Virginia, who helped start the 30-day fund in Virginia. But you did the same thing in Pennsylvania, which is for, for listeners, you remember um, this was a, a fund of forgivable loans for small businesses across their respective states to try to get through COVID. Um, and and you, you ran that in Pennsylvania. I did. Pete and Burson started that in Virginia. Memory serves on August 6th. I'm sorry, August, April 6th of 2020. And Pete called me on April 18th. Uh, and started talking about uh, what he was doing. And I had been following it uh, on social media. And I, I made the decision that day that we were going to do something in Pennsylvania just the same. And so I, I put together a great board. That was April 18th. On May 6th, Josh, we launched uh, with, <laughs> with hope. And we called it the Pennsylvania 30-Day Fund. Pete and I have joked about this. The geniuses that we are, we thought, we thought this would be 30 days. Um, right. Maybe maybe 45 days. So so don't ask me to predict the future on on things like this. But uh, but the pandemic started with a very modest, little, little difficult to get a hand, handle on. <laughs> yeah, and and what are we now in week seventy to stop the spread or slow the spread or something like that? So yeah, the getting back to what the elites and the geniuses that want to tell us what to do and how to do it. Um, and so we just looked around and said we got we got to save these small businesses in our community. It started very modestly uh, on May sixth of twenty twenty. Uh, here we are, what fourteen months later. We've raised $3.6 million and helped 1,000, and it's a little over 1,000 now, 60, 1,060, 1,060 businesses uh, across all 67 counties, help women and men keep the lights on, keep their dreams alive. And we think, Josh, conservatively, we saved 8,000 jobs for working families across the Commonwealth. Amazing, amazing generosity from Pennsylvanians, um, really, in every county, of course, but on every main street in every county. No, it's it's a great effort, and we've watched with Dave Portnoy over at Barstool done nationwide to to help that effort, and all of you in the individual respective states. It's just incredible. And I think, you know, look, I think we're turning the turning the uh, page on this. It feels like people are back to normal, and we always joke on the program that nobody tell the libs though, because they're all still stuck in their in their homes, triple masking with the fear of the Delta Comfort Plus variant coming around. <laughs> yeah, we. So here's the, the most encouraging uh, story. And I have, Josh, I have hundreds of stories um, from the last year. I, as I think Pete discussed with you as well, I, I called over 600 of those thousand plus businesses personally as the chair of the board. And those calls were just what you've seen on Dave's uh, video calls, right? They're, yeah. they're inspiring. They're devastating. They're hopeful. They're ev- the range of human emotions. But people were, here's what we heard from people. Number one, thank you for help, but also thank you for caring. Mm. Thanks, for, thanks for giving me hope. And I think that 
those two things, the, the, the stepping up at a time when no one else was helping, number one, and, and providing hope at a time when people really needed it. As we now get back out into the state over the last three months, traveling to all the, the 54 counties I mentioned uh, of the 67 we visited so far, I'm stopping by as many small businesses as I can, Josh. I am gaining weight because I'm stopping at every bakery. Um, I've had more haircuts than I possibly could be stopping at all these barbershops and, and places that we were able to help. That's where you got to learn stuff, I hear from, though, is the barbershop. Amen. It is totally right. But what, what we hear from people, which is really inspiring, is you know, after the initial help, what I hear is my community would not let me fail. I hear that time and again across Pennsylvania from small business owners who just willed their way with their community to making sure that they would keep their lights on. I think that's the most conservative. If I was to distill my conservative values into one sentence, my community would not let me fail. The community coming together to help each other and not relying on government. And that's, uh, that to me is a message that resonates across. It doesn't matter whether you're a black man in North Philadelphia running a small barbershop or a, uh, a 70 year old woman in Elk County or Cameron County um, running, running your small business. What unites you uh, is much, much more than what divides you. And that to me as conservatives, we'll just keep making that case because the left wants to divide us. That's absolutely right. And that's a message that's certainly resonating out there. Let, let's, um, let's talk about you for a minute. Have you always been super into politics or is this something, because you're a business guy, right? And so I'm sure you've been involved yeah. in terms of, you know, monitoring how, how the decisions of government affect you and your family. But at what point did you decide, you know, I'm going to be a candidate for, for office, which you were in 2018 and, and, and now again in 2022 and like take it to that next level? Yeah, so always been involved. I think even back to, I think I wrote my ninth grade history, not paper, my government paper on the Tax Reform Act of 1986. <laughs> I mean, I was, I was, so I mean, it, guilty as charged here, Josh. I, yeah. uh, I'm, I'm, a wonk, I'm a wonk. I can't help myself. Uh, that's okay. <laughs> that's uh, we know thyself, right? Yeah, know thyself. So I remember interviewing our Congressman Yatrin, uh, may he rest in peace, uh, for that paper. And, and my, I think my, my dad was very proud uh, of that because, uh, you know, in writing Pennsylvania. So yeah, always been interested. Went to law school at the University of Virginia, uh, met Cheryl there, and we moved back to our, our home state of Pennsylvania back in 1997 after, after graduate school for her and law school for me. And it just did what you do, right? Work as a lawyer, then got into business, uh, very fortunate, uh, worked hard, had some good breaks, um, running a good real estate development business, was an executive at a big public company and now been out on my own for 11 years. Um, but always been helping raise money, always helping local candidates, statewide candidates where I could, but really sitting in the role of a donor, um, someone who uh, also, Cheryl and I are very involved in the U.S.-Israel relationship, and so mm -hmm. getting involved in foreign affairs and helping um, some great folks in D.C. Uh, and around the country who, who not only work on the U.S.-Israel relationship, but in 2015 were on the forefront of trying to stop the disastrous uh, Iran nuclear deal. Yeah. That's where I decided to run. Uh, when Bob Casey betrayed... Oh, the people of Pennsylvania, after all the money that the, the people have been donating to him from the pro-Israel community over the years, when he betrayed uh, the safety and security of the United States and our ally Israel, I, I looked around and said, who's going to run against this guy? And so I stepped up and ran and ultimately uh, found myself in the primary for lieutenant governor, won that primary in a four-way race. And then uh, we lost the general in, in 2018 to the incumbent governor. By the way, we'd win today, uh, given the way he's treated the state over the last 15 months. But uh, <laughs> But, you know, Josh, the, 
you'll appreciate this as as having you know made made uh, you know politics and business. The day after the election in 2018, I was at a bank signing on a construction loan for some apartments we were building. Literally the day after the election, but 12 hours after the election was called. So I went right back to work and doing what I love, um, and just went back to helping people. Yeah. Pandemic strikes. And, you know, we, we have to step up and stepped up and, and did the work we did to help save small businesses. Well, I always say, particularly in, in Senate races, I think they're a little different than governor's races, lieutenant governor's races, and certainly congressional races, is that when you're in a swing state, they're so high profile and high test. When you have first time candidates, it's a really difficult test. Now, some people can pull it off, but I would say nine out of 10 probably have some kind of problem early on trying to figure out how to engage with the opposition or how to define themselves. So I look like at someone like you who's run before on a statewide basis. Do you feel like you learned enough from that experience to now coming on, you know, the biggest of stages other than the presidential uh, to execute in what, what is a absolutely must win state? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the experience of campaigning for 21 months across the Commonwealth, not only in the primary, but then in the general, in a high profile gubernatorial election, um, where we were out there every day fighting for working families, fighting for farmers. I mean, agriculture is Pennsylvania's biggest industry. A lot of people don't know that. Uh, yeah, I, I said on uh, election night in 2018, Josh, that it had been the privilege of a lifetime and the honor of a lifetime to be invited into so many people's homes and businesses and onto their family farms, fifth, sixth generation dairy farmers who remain struggling today, by the way. Um, so I learned, I mean, I know every square inch of this Commonwealth, um, as I mentioned, visited all 67 counties multiple times, have friends everywhere. And so as we, as we embark now three months into what's going to be, I think, the most high profile Senate race in the country uh, in 2022, uh, not only do we feel great about where our campaign is, but we know this state. Um, and I am ready to represent all Pennsylvanians. And this is, as I say all the time, this is five years of on the ground, sleeves rolled up, getting it done for working families and for farmers and for business people. And they, of course, their employees all across Pennsylvania. Yeah. Now, let me ask you a couple things that are coming up. There's an all-star game that is happening in, in Denver. Baseball moved it out of Georgia. And I think it, for me anyway, it typifies some of the movement that we've seen uh, from the left and into corporate America lately that I think is just is genuinely alarming. But I'm curious, because you're a business guy, from a business perspective, what do you make of the whole woke capitalism movement? And, and is this as big an issue in Pennsylvania as we're seeing in other places of the country? It's a huge issue. Uh, the, the unholy marriage of, of corporate media with woke capitalism, woke CEOs, and um, and all of this now being pushed by a radical left that uh, that has this really starts right in colleges and now is is filtering its way down on purpose by design into our high schools and, and now even to our middle schools and, and, and grade schools. This is this is what is this a 50, 60 year push yeah. to uh, to infect, infect the institutions in our society with this leftism, wokeism. Um, so, yeah, it's a huge issue. Uh, we as conservatives have been asleep at the switch for too long. Agree. Um, as I mentioned before, this notion of uh, my community would not let me fail. I mean, the left has, think about this, Josh, we have, the left has corporate media, woke CEOs, Hollywood. Um, they have the, the entirety of, of the university 
uh, establishment. And now, you're, as I said, you're getting into the teachers unions and high schools, middle schools and grade schools. And yet they barely win elections compared to us. In other words, we win more than we lose. And this is with all of these institutions aligned against us. And the reason we win is, number one, we have better ideas. And number two, we have people. I mean, it was Buckley who said, ready, rather be governed by the first 400 names in the yeah, Boston Bloomberg. phone book than yeah. the entire faculty. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we win because we get it done for, for families uh, and for people across places like Pennsylvania, across places like Georgia. Um, and so that's why we win. But yeah, it's a huge concern. I mean, you're seeing it in, in big tech, of course, with deplatforming and the president's, uh, President Trump's lawsuit. Um, against the uh, against the big tech companies, so you know we're fighting back, but it's a huge issue, and we can win this battle with woke capitalism, but we have to commit to it. Yeah, that's right. We can't just be talking points on a on a campaign trail. We have to commit to it. Yeah, yeah, you're here. You're speaking to the choir on that. So, what's your assessment of of where we're at right now? Because it, it always in the off year, everything is a little sleepy and then all of a sudden it sort of explodes. But I've seen a little bit more action out of Pennsylvania now. You're, of course, are going to be engaged in a pretty wide open primary electorate. Where do you think the campaign sits today? And what, what do you think your chances are of, of getting to where you need to go next year? Well, we have back-to-back uh, seven-figure fundraising quarters. Um, so Q1 was a million, just shy of a million too. Q2 um, was a little over a million. Uh, there's a super PAC out there doing great work, I'm told, uh, and, and raising well. Of course, I don't, I don't talk to them, but um, you know, I read about it just like you do. Right. So fundraising is going great. Um, issues that we're hitting on are resonating across the Commonwealth. Everywhere I go, I talk about saving Main Street, beating China, and restoring the American dream for our children and grandchildren. And Josh, that's not just uh, that's not just a politician's words. I have two college-age daughters. Uh, one is a varsity athlete, yeah. um, and she is the woman she is today because she competed against girls and was able to rise to the highest level uh, as a captain in high school. And now I hope this year she'll be a senior in college. Just as long as she stays healthy, she'll be a four-year varsity athlete in college. Mm-hmm. My daughter uh, wouldn't be the woman she is, leadership qualities, confidence, and everything, if she didn't have that opportunity to compete and become who she is in, in middle school, high school, and, and now in college. So her American dream. It's different than my younger daughter, who's a rising sophomore, and says to me, "Dad, I, I want to write these papers, but I'm worried about getting an F." Um, she's a she's a libertarian, Josh. We did we did okay with her. Uh, she's a libertarian. She's a Zionist. Proud of it, and she has to think all the time about uh, about how she's going about her work. And so, it's very personal for me when I talk about these issues. And so we know um, that the issues we're talking about are resonating with everyday Pennsylvanians working families. And, and unlike every other candidate running, I'm the business guy, right? I'm coming from the private sector with a proven track record of rolling sleeves up and getting things done for people. And I think that's a key differentiator as we look at a primary. I say this all the time. Politicians love to talk about small businesses being the backbone. How many of them ever signed the front of a paycheck? More importantly, how many of them ever sweated a payroll? Yeah, there you go. How many of them have ever worried about a, a, a colleague and a colleague's sick uh, spouse or a child and making sure they got the medical care they needed. Um, it, it, owning a small business, enormous responsibility, but you know, the joy of joys, right? To be able to, to provide for families and to, to take care of the people that take care of you. That's right. Uh, we need more people in politics who know that, uh, 
we know we need more people in politics. And if we had more people in politics with that common sense approach, we'd be a hell of a lot better off. Yeah, no, no question about it. Last question before I get into the, the final three, uh, because you mentioned it. I know you've been very involved in the pro-Israel community over the years. What do you make of this nonsense? I mean, it used to be just a broad bipartisan consensus. Obviously, Israel, our top ally. Uh, and then all of a sudden, Democratic leaders, it's not just the, the progressive left, have, have seemed to just sort of step-by-step step abandon Israel. It is, it's heartbreaking. When, when Israel was being attacked um, with over 4,000 rockets back in May, I went on, uh, on uh, a podcast and talked about how the radical left is normalizing Jew hatred. And Josh, I, I grew up in a family where my dad had a 45 caliber bullet press and a shotgun shell press. I, I had family members, like, like many Jews did, when family members murdered in the Holocaust. And so I grew up very much in a family that talked about, they need to know your history so that you can protect yourself and your loved ones. Yeah. I have to say, I never thought, though, even though I heard this from my grandfather and my father growing up, I really never imagined that in our country, as a Jew, uh, forget it, even as a Jew, as a, as a freedom-loving, freedom-loving uh, American who, who, who respects religious tolerance and religious freedom, for people to be going around restaurants in L.A. saying, where are the Jews? Unbelievable. Uh, for, people, for people trying to call out Jews in, in Florida and New York. And as you said, the radical left, which is where all the energy in their party is, mm-hmm. all of the energies in their party in their parties in the radical left, they are silent. Just as they're silent, by the way, to, to support the Cuban people. They don't care. When I say they, I mean the, the left does not care about freedom, liberty, religious tolerance, religious freedom. They don't care. That's right. They don't care. And so as, as an American Jew, uh, as a Zionist, as someone who, who loves uh, the state of Israel and who, who worked very hard for the U.S.-Israel relationship, I'm absolutely just, I, I lose words here, Josh. Yeah. The fact that the left has abandoned our ally and normalized Jew hatred is something that every American, left, right, center, should stand up and say enough and never again. Enough and never again. Uh, it's just absolutely right. And I, I, every day I can't believe we've actually ended up in a place that we are where we have to have a conversation like that. You know, it's just, it's really a sad state of affairs, but I, I appreciate the work that you've done over the years and, uh, I spent the weekend and I flew out to to Las Vegas with Matt Brooks, saw him on the airplane. I know the good work they've been doing. He's been on the program talking about that too. So listen, we just got to keep up the the good work on that front because it's the left is committed. And, and the great news is that when you talk to average Pennsylvanians across the state, Christian, Jew, Muslim, everybody, people understand. This is, again, the difference between the elites and the the woke left and then everybody else. People understand that Israel is on the front lines fighting the battle to protect Judeo-Christian values and really the Judeo-Christian values that underpin the entire American experiment, right? The Declaration, the Constitution. Our forefathers were grounded uh, in the Bible. They understood the Old Testament and the New Testament, right? They knew the Torah. So our whole American experiment, Judeo-Christian values underpin and and really give life to who we are as a nation. And, and, and common sense people know that Israel's on the front lines fighting uh, for the values that hold us all together. All right. Well, let's, let's get to the three questions here. These are the ones that everybody pays attention to. Uh, Jeff Bartos, what's your last meal on earth? Well, that's easy. Uh, 
Josh, you've heard of pub crawls, I'm sure. We're gonna do <laughs> a we're gonna do a South Philly uh, red gravy crawl. We're gonna go from great Italian restaurant to great Italian restaurant, mixing in some great martinis and some great red wine with family and dear friends, and we're gonna eat ourselves silly on uh, meatballs and great pasta and amazing bread and some uh, spaghetti and, and crab and all the great stuff that you get in South Philadelphia and it'll be a hell of a party. That is, that's one of the better answers I've heard yet. If you haven't done what he is, is explaining, you gotta go figure it out. South Philly, Italian food, it's just out of this world. Out of this world. Yeah, better than Italy. Better <laughs> than Italy. There I go, I'll throw the marker down. Better than Italy. <laughs> I love it. And, and easier to commute. A lot easier to commute. Yeah, that's great. All right. So I think we kind of know because you're a business guy what you'd be doing, but but let's just sort of broaden this out a bit. If if you weren't involved in politics, you decided not to get into this. Uh, and it, let's just separate from your previous career in business. What else would you be doing with your life? Well, gosh, I mean, the Eagles are going to have a quarterback competition, I think, go. this summer. So it uh, seems like a pretty cool thing to do. Uh, <laughs> but but seriously. But seriously, I, I think I can get about a 10-yard pass to the sideline, Josh, and that's all we've got. Um, <laughs> Under pressure? I don't know. That might do the trick this year. That, that might be. That's right. And, and the Sixers are looking for a point guard, but I'm, I'm too short. So at 6'1", I ain't getting it done. Um, right. So Ben's a lot taller than I am. Uh, so I think, you know, all seriousness, um, everything I've learned over the last uh, five years and certainly over the last 15 months with our work to help small businesses, I would uh, I'd absolutely be going – to some of the smaller parts of Pennsylvania, some of the more rural parts of Pennsylvania and doing some development work, um, working with the small business community, but also on my own, uh, doing some real estate work. And, uh, and I love the work we get to do here in the Southeast. And I'd like to broaden that out and, uh, and get to a lot of the places that we've already fallen in love with. Yeah, I like it. I like it. All right. So final question. And this one kind of gets to the root of who you are, Jeff. So what motivates you more, the thrill of victory or the agony of defeat? Well, as someone who's crossed the line in two Ironmans, finished two Ironmans, and seven marathons, and lots and lots of half marathons and half Ironmans, uh, I can tell you that it's, it's the agony of defeat that, uh, that motivates me. Uh, not only when I finish those, you cross those finish lines, I'm always like, okay, what's next? Uh, how can we get better? But also the, the sheer terror of uh, being at, at 11 hours into an Ironman and being like, I got to finish this thing. Like, <laughs> I got to finish it. So, uh, so you just, you will yourself over the finish line, but yeah, the, the, the agony of defeat. I love it. I love it. Yeah. That makes some sense, right? Cause nobody, the, your, your thrill of victory when you're a, a mile before the finish line is not really enveloped upon you, right? You just don't want to be defeated at that point. Absolutely. And I think that's, you know, you see this in politics and business too. Like we should celebrate the wins, but for a couple minutes and you get right back to what's next. Like, what are we doing? who's trying to get us. Um, if you're not paranoid in business, uh, you're probably not going to succeed. Well, it, it, it's a good rule that applies to politics too. Jeff Bartos, I can't thank you enough for making the time. Stay in touch. We'll keep following this campaign really, really closely. Josh, best to you, your family, and all your listeners. Thank you so much. All right. So uh, clearly a very smart guy. You know, the funny thing is, is now we have had two guests who have taken it upon themselves to run 30-day funds during the pandemic to go raise money for people who are struggling during the pandemic because their governments shut their businesses down and raised millions of dollars to keep people, their businesses open, employees paid. 
Right. I mean, that's, dude, this is this is what I keep coming back to. Conservatism is alive and well. It's doing well at the local level, man. People are doing stuff. Yeah. I remember we, you know, we had Pete Snyder on the podcast uh, who ran for governor of Virginia, who did, did the same thing in Virginia. Uh, and you're exactly right. You know, I mean, they say, you know, we don't have any ideas and we're just fighting loser culture wars, which, of course, is absurd on its face. But we're also helping people. Yeah. What well, also puts the, to bed the narrative of like, but he fights. Yeah. Right. right. Which is like what what Democrats shorthand for what Republicans. Yeah, he fights. He fights for, uh, you know, 8000 people in his community. Yeah. What the hell jobs. have you done? Right. While Nothing. You tweet all day. While you're sitting there tweeting and going on Rachel Maddow, this guy's actually feeding people. Right. Yeah. Anyway, great stuff. Great program. Absolute banger of an episode, gentlemen. Good job, everybody. Uh, and that was a really good Demer Journal, too, by the way. So outstanding work all across. So until next time, minions, keep the faith, hold the line, and own the libs. We'll see you on Thursday. Stay ruthless.